just when Chris thought he was out, we pulled them back in. Because we're talking movies. We're talking the definitive zombie movie of all time. George A. Romano's Dawn of the Dead. Starring David M.G., Ken Foray, and Galen Ross. Written and directed by George A. Romano. Every dead body that is not exterminated becomes one of them. It gets up and it kills. The people it kills gets up and kill. When hell is full, the dead will rise and walk again. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Like That Movie? Uh, we are talking about the 1978 classic, Dawn of the Dead, and we have as our guest, filmmaker and director, founder of the Kitchener-Waterloo Film Festival, Daniel McLeod. Hey, man, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, so this is our uh, a section that we like to call uh, Shameless Self-Promotion. So why don't you tell our listeners all about you and uh, definitely talk about the KW Film Festival, which is coming up in a week, something like that. That's right. This coming weekend. So yeah, I'm Dan McLeod. I'm a filmmaker first and director of the festival second. So I've got my second feature film doing the rounds right now called Regicide. It's not a bad movie. The trailer, much... the tra the trailer looked fantastic, by the way, and we'll make sure we put that in our show notes. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so I'm pretty happy with that one. We filmed that one in 10 days uh, straight, uh, nine days of shooting, one day of rehearsal uh, in a place with no running water. Uh, we had one outhouse for everyone that uh, got really bad really quick. Uh, it was chaos, but we pulled it off. And uh, with all the circumstances, it's, it turned out pretty well. Uh, the first movie I did, Force Fury, is on Tubi, and you should never, ever watch it. It's terrible. <laughs> And uh, the KW Film Festival is coming this weekend on the 14th. We have Midnight Madness. It starts at 9 o'clock and goes to about 2 a.m. It's for the, a lot of wild stuff. And we've got a mystery movie playing first. And on the 15th is our more traditional uh, festival stuff. So we have a feature film, uh, Shifted, that is also locally made in Kitchener-Waterloo. And then we have the short films. And it's a mix of national, international, and local stuff. Uh, so how long have you been doing the KW Film Festival now? Um, it's been open to the public for, I think, four years now, I think. I was actually just having this conversation last night because I can't remember. As before it was an open thing, it was just local filmmakers. We'd rent out a theater and we'd show our work to each other. And we did that for a few years. And before that, I ran a festival for, there was a, there was a concert thing that only happened a couple of years, but it was called Big Music Fest. And I was contracted to run a film festival for them. Uh, and... Yeah, so I'm not actually sure how many of these I've done, but but open to the public at least like three or four. So, and you're back. Uh, I mean, COVID. You you actually did a pretty good job of pivoting during COVID. Uh, last year you did like a drive-in style. Um, yeah. So this year you're actually back in the Princess Theater, correct? Yes, we are. Yeah, uh, we're in the original one. Uh, that's my favorite run. I know some people like there are accessibility issues because it's like a lot of stairs. It's very narrow. The screen's kind of, it's older, the seats aren't as comfortable, but I just like the history of the place. And uh, they gave us the option to use the new one, the Princess Twin, but it just doesn't have that that old theater smell uh, that you can't replicate, you know? Is it true that the Princess Theater used to be a porno theater, or is that just like a like an urban legend? 
I don't think anyone really knows. Uh, <laughs> I, I've asked this uh, to the owner itself, and he's like, yeah, well, it was something. Uh, he's not, but he's not really open to talking about it, I guess. Uh, and the owners of the building, I don't think are open to talk about it either. So there's a lot of rumors like, oh, I remember when it used to be this, but no one who I've never met anyone who admits to actually going in there when it was a porno theater. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it might be hard to find people that will admit other than say met someone like maybe get ready to drink Quentin Tarantino, uh, <laughs> or, or Pee Wee Herman that, uh, are willing to admit that they were, you know, just chilling out in a porno theater, you know, watching, watching some flex. Yeah. You know, uh, let's bring those back. Why not? It could be fun. So your feature film, is it Regicide? Regicide? How do, how do you pronounce that? Uh, I say Regicide. I don't know if that's the correct way to pronounce it. I thought I was really clever when I was writing the movie and I picked that title. But upon reflection, like, yeah, that's kind of a douchey word. I should just call it <laughs> something else. But uh, that's that's on the poster now. So that's what it is. And I have to live with that. What's, uh, why don't you give us the, uh, the like the premise? Give us your uh, your one liner and all that jazz. All right. Uh, the premise is uh, a bickering couple is moving out of a farmhouse uh, to move back to the city. Uh, one of them is not very happy, happy about it. Their friends are trying to help them out and get them out there. But then uh, an unexpected guest arrives and everything kind of goes to shit. As That's they do. the basics. As yeah. they do. Uh, so I just I'm looking at uh, some of your credits. So you and I actually uh, are part of the same project. So you're the producer for Snowblind, and I'm an executive producer on that film. <laughs> <laughs> of course. This which, is a small world. Which man. basically means you did work and I gave money. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I uh, ended up not... I didn't start out as a producer for that movie. Uh, the movie had always, already been shooting for two or three years uh, at that point. Brian, the director, is a friend of mine, and he was actually my DOP for Regicide. And uh, he helped out on Force Fury as well. Uh, what happened, like, because it had taken so long, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to come in and help you. So I shot a couple of days. I did a bunch of effects work for them. Uh, I set up their uh, crowdfunding campaign, stuff like that. Uh, and it, that basically gifted me the producer title. Uh, so it, it was really neat to see that movie come together. I remember going to a private screening for a rough cut and being really worried <laughs> about the movie. It was like, oh no like four years of filming but then i saw the finished version i was like oh this is fucking awesome so uh in in that like a few months span like he really put it together and i'm really happy with what he what he did it's really fun where do you where are you guys in your process with snowblind uh it is done it is doing the festival circuit i'm not sure if he's doing any more um but uh, he yeah he got into some good ones um, from what i remember i can't remember the, what the festivals were called uh but he's got another screening coming up soon um the details of that are not public yet, but okay. when they are, I'll let you know. And and what about with re regicide or regicide or regicide? Re <laughs> regicide, yeah. Um, <laughs> that one is, is probably, I'm just going to uh, go right to distribution. There's a few distributors I'm going to contact and say, hey, do you want this movie? Yes or no. And if they say no, then I'm going to throw it to an aggregator uh, like I did with uh, Force Fury. And then it'll just end up wherever. I mean, Force Fury was even on Amazon Prime. For about a year which i couldn't believe they took it uh, wait and, is this uh, the one you're saying not to watch because i saw the trailer and although it looks like it's sort of like a future uh you know like basically alien cop working with you know human cop you know pr yeah. police procedural it is um it, but it's like super dumb uh that movie was <laughs> <laughs> i love an honest filmmaker <laughs> oh yeah it was 
the whole thing for me was like, okay, I want to make a feature film, but I I know my first feature is probably not going to turn out very well. So I'm going to make a piece of crap. And so I wrote it drunk the entire time. <laughs> none, none of that was written sober. So I would ramble on the keyboard and then I sent it to uh, the lead actor in that movie, uh, Matthew Masso, and he put it into a script format. And we looked at it and we're like, holy Jesus. All right, let's go. And then, and then we just, when we made it, uh, with, uh, I think we spent like $500 total. Now, this was mostly food. And Wait, on a feature? On a feature, yeah. <laughs> Everyone was just volunteers. Uh, because, like, I showed them the script, like, hey, I'm making this piece of shit. Do you, do you want to be involved? And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that sounds fun. What, and, a, uh, what a salesman. So I've got this piece of shit. You want to be in it for free? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I find honesty is the best way to go. Like, regicide, everyone got paid. Like, that actually I put money and time into it and pre-production and all that. But Force Fury was, I just want to cut my teeth and make something that is technically a movie, technically a feature, and then it's done, and I'll, I'll feel better just to go through the process and uh, make sure I can stick with it and, and actually deliver on something. And I did. And, uh, yeah. Well, the majority of directors only make one feature film. Like statistically, so you're already really? ahead of most directors. Jeez, I'm uh, writing the third one now, so I, yeah, I don't know. So with a five hundred dollar <laughs> budget and it being on Amazon Prime, did you make money? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I did. <laughs> um, it, it it was eventually kicked off of Amazon Prime, but it's still on Tubi, and Tubi paid uh, pays better. It doesn't pay well. Nothing pays well anymore at all. Everything pays like shit. Uh, you're getting pennies on the dollar for what you used to get even like four years ago. Uh, but yeah, it, it made its money back. So I have, have a profitable film uh, at the expense of the quality of the, of the film itself. That's fantastic. So basically the key is make them cheap and make them often. I guess. I mean, there is probably a way to make a living doing that if you just turn out complete garbage on a consistent level i sure i'm sure you could make a living eventually well who's the who's the really famous uh b movie is it like corman roger well, corman well and roger, the, the yeah. other one that uh they did the black and white movie with uh johnny depp playing him uh ed wood ed, ed wood. wood he's a hero of mine as well actually you guys just broke up both my heroes uh, roger corman and uh, ed wood jr are <laughs> some of my favorites they're both like hucksters and they're, and they're not really ashamed about it uh roger corman is somehow still alive i don't think he's not he's in the public anymore i think his kids are kind of running the show but he's like a hundred mm -hmm. something years old yeah. uh so where with re just before we uh you know kind of kick this back over to the film uh yeah. with regicide uh like when can when is this like what is there any local film festivals this thing's available at like where can we go see this this sucker i'm probably gonna have it uh, one way or another, six months from now, it's going to be online somewhere. Um, I might do some drive-ins uh, with it or something fun like that. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do theater runs. It's like uh, it's difficult to make your money back doing theater runs now. People are less likely to go to the cinema at all. Like you got to really hit the art house ones and really push it because you're competing against everything else they're playing, stuff they've actually heard of. Uh, so it's it's tough. If you're gonna do a theater run, you gotta have like a gimmick. So you might do like a Midnight Madness thing again if we're if we're gonna go that route. But otherwise, it'll be online. Um, oh, almost definitely to be hopefully Prime, and we'll see what happens. Are you in your festival run right now? Then uh, it is coming to an end. Uh, what the last one was uh, another Hole in the Head festival. Okay, uh, and I think right before that was Shock Fest. 
uh, they played at. So I think they overlapped, and that was in uh, mid-December. And that was basically it for me. Like, okay, that's the year. I didn't get into a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, of festivals because I found out, thanks to Shockfest uh, contacting me, like, hey, there's like three parts of your movie where the dialogue cuts out for like 30 seconds. <laughs> like, what? Like, I, I don't know how the hell I missed that in a cut I sent to people. Uh, but they liked the movie enough to actually contact me, like, hey, we like this, we want to play it, but you got to fix this stuff or, or it doesn't make any sense. So I did another cut. And then once I did that, started getting into more stuff. Unfortunately, yeah, because of how competitive the market is, they saw it, oh, that's fucked, and that's gone. Like, yep. you just didn't even, you didn't even hear back. Exactly. And uh, I, I get it. Like, um, running a festival myself, like, you don't have time to to nitpick all that stuff it's just like yes or no you have got like hundreds of movies to to watch and uh so i understand why people didn't reach out beforehand so i really respect the fact that they did so you've had a, a 500 hundred dollar feature film budget and you don't have to say which film film it was but like what's the highest budget you've worked with now uh about 40 grand <laughs> i don't understand why you're laughing that's the, because that's in the amazing. world of feature films that's like that's called no budget. He's <laughs> yeah, still working with no budget. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I've never applied for a grant before. Uh, so it was all just like, what can we scrap together? Uh, so no so telefilm, for, nothing like that. Nothing. Uh, this next one coming up, yeah, we're going to need actual money because uh, we have interest from actual actors who are at least somewhat known, which will help, I think, in getting the grant money. So that it's, includes uh, working with ACTRA and maybe, and then some of the crew unions and stuff like that as well, or? Yeah, uh, ACTRA, yeah, that's that's super fun. Um, dealing with that is, like, I didn't realize what a process that is. Like, holy shit, it, it is not fun. <laughs> like, wow, I really want this actor, but holy Christ, do I not want to deal with ACTRA. Just the, the hoops you have to jump through. Uh, like, oh, you want this actor? Well, they need, like, 10% of your total budget. Like, well, I don't have a full budget yet. Uh, so how do, like, what is your minimum? Like, what are you talking about? Like, back in, it's it's nuts. And if you want more than one actor, now you got to, like, where's all this money coming from? Where is it going? It It is bizarre. There's a lot uh, of paperwork, too. Like, that just, just oh, admin, admin, admin issues, right? Extreme. It's like, if you want, if you have an actor, actor who is, like, known enough, and you want to use other actors who are not actor, actor has to approve those actors in your own movie. Uh, stuff like that, like, like, oh man, it is not a fun. <laughs> I'm not really enjoying it. Like, I haven't even finished the script yet, and I'm already getting headaches just just from the paperwork. It's because you're I'm not drinking enough. Do. It sounds like uh, the key to your success <laughs> is, is getting drunk. <laughs> uh, before I just had a couple questions about your festival. So first off, as a festival director, like, you know, people like you said, like you you submit your stuff and you just wait to get in. What, yeah. as a festival director, what are you looking for? You know, whether both as just a, you know, festival director in general, and then what as the KW Film Festival would you say are, are you looking for? Because I think that for filmmakers out there that are in our audience, it's always, it just feels like a crapshoot. You just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and hope it comes back, right? Unless your last name's Coppola. Yeah. Yes. Um, you'd be surprised uh, about the quality of the stuff that gets submitted. Um I am usually just looking for general competency in, in filmmaking because, believe it or not, that is the rarity. That is the exception. Most of the stuff that gets submitted, it looks like a, a high school project where they didn't know what they were doing. And, okay. the, and and I find the longer the bio of the director, usually the worse of a filmmaker they are. 
<laughs> and I don't know why, but that that seems to be consistent. It's like, oh, this is like the best film ever. It's won awards here and there, blah blah blah. And I watched the movie, like, no way, <laughs> this is awful. And so, competency is the main thing I'm looking for. Like, is this like a functional piece of of work that I'm looking at? Is it shot by someone who knows what they're doing? Can the actors act? Does the story make any sort of sense? Like, the bare minimum is usually not there. Uh, so it, it, going through the submissions, you want to pull your hair out because you're going crazy because like I love movies, I love filmmaking and I want to promote it. But when you watch most of the stuff that you're getting, you're like, I can't I can't believe this. And but man, I do feel a lot better about my own work. After doing that. <laughs> uh, so, so when it's like the submission time, you got to watch this. Is it like like, do you dread this beforehand? Like, yeah. is this when you you're just like downing the jack? Yes, it's, it is brutal, man. Like I, I don't know how people would, I guess, be honest about the, that part of the process, but it's it sucks. It's it's work. It's not fun, and that's, uh, yeah. But when you do get through it, and you and you get to the good pieces, the good pieces are worth it. And then I'm like, okay, I'm glad I did this, and I got to see all this new cool stuff. Uh, but as the KW specific, uh, I'm way more. Uh, not sure if the right word is is forgiving, but we're trying to get the community together of filmmakers uh, to learn from each other and to help mentor each other is is the main point of of my festival. Uh, it's like okay, this is how I started becoming a filmmaker is by going to film uh, festivals like small ones like this in the community. There was a group called the Twelve Angry Filmmakers. That was around before I started making films. And uh, th their whole thing was, uh, let's get together and make work together and learn. Uh, so I would attend these screenings and these meetings, and I met these people. And that's where my basis came from of these filmmakers that I still work with today. And that was really important to me. And that's what I want this festival to be for other filmmakers. Come together, see each other's stuff, learn from each other, and eventually uh, connect and go out and make things together. And, and continue to improve that way. So that, that is the point of this festival. It's not just, this is the best movie. These are the best movies in the world that I found. I'm going to show them off. It's, it's to bring the, the filmmakers together and, and, and learn. So on that, I mean, I'm looking at your schedule. It looks like you both on both days or nights, you've kind of got a feature film and then you've got like, it looks like your short programming. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Yes. So at what point do you have, is there, is there red carpet? Is there uh, you know, sometimes there'll be an industry component where the filmmakers that have films showing, like when are you wanting those people to, to mingle? Because according to the schedule, it kind of looks like movie movies. Like when is that interaction happening or is it happen offline on like uh, in an email blast or something? That'll be uh, actually mailed out in the next couple of days. Uh, there's going to be a, like a meet and greet beforehand uh, with the filmmakers who are able to attend. Uh, like uh, show up for like a drink at the bar next door sort of thing and then get, get to know each other. And then there's uh, breaks between the feature film and the shorts. Uh, they'll be mingling. People can bring their promotional materials and, and sell their merch, everything like that. And uh, and afterwards, there's always mingling as well. Uh, the That the mingling is pretty important because it's one it's like okay saw your movie keep by like well there's no point there you you want to actually get to know the faces of the people who've made the stuff uh and a lot of the filmmakers are actually attending which uh i'm really happy about so the vast majority of the submissions will have a director there so i mean is there anything else this sounds fantastic like first off uh kudos to you 
for uh, trying to bring the the local filmmaking community together. Like, I mean, for those that don't know, I mean, we're in Kitchener-Waterloo area. It's outside of Toronto. Everything becomes very Toronto-centric. And everything's in Toronto. But we don't all live in Toronto, and we it, it sucks that we commute in there to work or shoot or whatever. So to be able to work in our own backyard uh, is so nice. And, and to be able to have our friends and family and other filmmakers see work in our own backyard is is awesome. And I think that's so great that you, you, you're you doing that, man. Oh, definitely. Like, uh, sh- like Shifted um, and the, actually the mystery movie as well are both locally founded pictures. So I, I want it's important, especially up and coming directors, people are just doing shorts. I want them to meet these people and be like, yeah, you can make a feature film. This And they're going to tell you how they did it. And hopefully you go out and make a feature film. Uh, yeah. Well, now that I now that I know that you're making features for five hundred dollars, the uh, seven thousand <laughs> that I spend on one day of production for one day of shooting makes me feel very sad. <laughs> Holy Jesus. Uh, what one was that? Oh, that's the one that, uh, so I start shooting, uh, January 26th on an art house picture called coffee. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's uh so it's the location rental, our dolly. Uh, we have to have a dolly grip, all that type of stuff. Uh, we're shooting on like an Ari Alexa. Uh, we got a like fantastic DP, uh, as you know, all that stuff just adds up. <laughs> Really, really fast. Yeah. Real fast. Yeah. Like, hey, if anybody's out there listening uh, and they have money they don't need, uh, please send it to www.hijoikedthatmovie.com <laughs> and I will spend it for you. So I, I saw an article. I'm not sure if it was a real article, but it said uh, a producer in Florida robbed a bank uh, just to fund a movie. He I just caught. saw that this morning yeah. on Instagram. <laughs> Everybody's really? like, I, yeah, I get it. Yep. Yeah. They're like, I mean, it's wrong, but also right. I mean, if you sh- if you use that found, you could almost go found footage with that, too, and kind oh, of yeah. kill two birds. So you got your, your cinematography rate, rate built into the robbery. So uh, so do you have anything else you want to talk about before we actually start talking about our movie? Uh, show up to the festival if you can. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to get to meet the filmmakers of the movies you see. It's there's a lot of awesome stuff. I'm particularly excited for Midnight Madness. This is a new kind of programming. I, re- I really wanted to separate the more family friendly to the totally insane stuff that I didn't feel comfortable showing the public other years. So this year we're showing the weird stuff on Midnight Madness. If you like weird stuff, that that's for you, absolutely. And you will we'll have everything in our show notes, the hyperlinks and stuff to the festival pages. So if you want to check it out or uh, you want to come out and meet the filmmakers and stuff like that, uh, all that information will be available. Scott, do you have anything before we jump into the film? No, no, I'm good. All right, Scott, take it away. What movie are we doing again? <laughs> My God, <laughs> it's the one uh, where you mispronounced. Oh, there you go. How, you how do you how do you say the guy's name? Romero. Romero. Romero yeah. Oh, oh, man. I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Like, I think we can all agree this is the definitive zombie movie, right? Like, yeah. Um. To me, it's the commentary on consumerism. Like, even if you look at the film fucking Fort that was made 44 years ago, like that same desire of want overtaking your actual, the what your actual needs are, um, is still like relevant today. Like, my favorite scene on this is like the low montage that they do right after they clear the zombies the first time. And then they're just doing like their Monday day to day. And they're like pretty much just fucking zombies going even like after 
even after they like had sex, they're just literally just like standing there like, well, that was 100% unfulfilling. Which is what oh, makes yeah. Shaun of the Dead so funny when it opens because everybody, people are not zombies yet, but they they are very zombie-like, right? And then he doesn't even notice when people are turning into zombies because that's just how the real world is now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I was just sick of that scene, Scott, before you brought it up, because uh, I was talking about this movie last night to a couple of friends, and that's the scene they brought up, too. It's the where they finally have everything. Like, they've got their little apartment set up. They've got, like, the microwave and all this stuff, and they're just eating, and uh, and they're, they're going nuts, basically. Like, when it's the whole, like, be careful what you wish for, because you might get it. And once you do, like, then what? Yeah. Well, even when they first came to that... Um that mall and they're like okay we're gonna like just try to ransack it for supplies when they're like grabbing tvs and shit like to throw when the original plan was to throw on the to put it all on the helicopter i'm like where are you gonna fucking plug this tv in first and why are you going for tvs right but it was just that whole like hey we we need everything like we have to grab everything and then when the bikers come they just fucking go crazy on that shit too i uh mm -hmm. my favorite scenes in it are actually not even like anything that has to do with like plot or narrative i just love watching them a drive a car through a mall <laughs> and fucking shoot zombies and when the motorcycle gang shows up and they're just like again doing all kinds of like fucking wheelies and ru rushing around and stuff like there's just some the the camera work there uh is so like visceral like they they get up nice and close. The camera's moving. The uh, the vehicles are moving. You know, I don't know if they're using uh, dollies or carts or whatever, but like it feels very very dynamic, right? Like there's nothing still about it. Uh, yeah. The cinematographer on that, Michael Gornick, uh, also worked on Creepshow and Day of the Dead, but I think he does a fantastic job uh, with all the movement. But I don't know what it is. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, I don't, maybe because I'm like, it'd be so fucking cool to just like ride a motorcycle through a mall you know what i mean yeah the cinematography in that is quite the thing i was i noticed uh when i watched it again on friday something like 10 percent of the shots are out of focus or or slightly off which i think it just spoke to the speed at which this movie must have been shot mm. and uh like a lot of like in cobbled together in editing i'm guessing because like you can tell like what they're using like shooting in the mall they don't really probably have a lot of lights set up they're just using like the mall lights it's like this is just how everything looked and it, they're probably just running around the camera there's a shot there's a shot there's a shot and it you can tell it was quick when, when they have to shoot at night and then get it all cleaned up uh, so the mall can operate during the day then and set was, everything up again and i think they shot over like the holidays as well for a point too so like they seriously had to get cleaned up and get the fuck out of that mall at seven o'clock in the morning, right? So oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like I they probably are shooting primarily with practicals, right? So completely. It's uh I imagine it was a lot of fun, but also complete chaos. Like as just from a producer standpoint, I'd be pulling my hair out. Like, guys, we gotta gotta get the shot right now and clean up or we're not gonna be on time like every day like that. I couldn't imagine. So when I started digging into this film, I, one of the things I came across was the fact that Dario D'Argento is one of the like people who helped put this thing together. And for yeah. those that don't know who he is, he's like the man, like the man with it's called Italian Giallo. So the yellow uh, he is he it's it's like he is like the master of horror slasher, whatever he's like, what De Palma wanted to be at the beginning of his career. Like this guy is like the it's like Sir, the Sergio Leone but of like Italian slasher cinema. 
that and the fucking goblins did the soundtrack on the Italian cut of this. So, again, they worked with Dargento on the original Suspiria, uh, which is also a fantastic film and a crazy art house kind of witch movie. Uh, and the Goblins are this, like, Italian prog rock band, right? And so, yeah, I just thought that was so cool to see those two worlds converge. And I was 100% unaware of it until I started doing background for this film. Yeah, it's... um. Argento basically convinced Romero to like, hey, come to Italy, come live in my villa and, and write, a, write a sequel he, uh, to Night of the Living Dead. So Argento really is responsible for this movie existing at all. And like they got them all for free. I think it was a friend of Romero's or something or Argento, I can't remember. So a lot of this is because, yeah, Argento is like, Night of the Living Dead is awesome. You need to write a sequel. Come over here and write it. And, and he did. And I think that actually, you know, going back to what you said about you know, your festival and bringing filmmakers together is this is how work gets done, right? It's, 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 yeah. I would say that as both as a director and a producer, the film industry is 80% people and 20% content. Like it, it's all about who, you know, who's willing to work with you. A guy that knows a person who knows a lady who will give you a, you know, a thousand dollars or whatever, or like you said, a, a location. Um, so the interaction between not even just filmmakers, but artists, right? Like, oh, I know someone who can do your score or, oh, I know this like really great hair and makeup person or whatever, right? So. Oh, it's completely community-based. Uh, it's it's it, unbelievably so. I, I know that people say for every job, oh, it's who you know will get you the job. I've never seen anything like the level it is for filmmaking because people, if you don't have a reputation of being good to work with and people can't vouch for you, people will not work with you. It, then that's it. Unless you're throwing them a ton of money uh, you'll, you'll just go, I've never heard of you. Or, or this guy says you're an asshole. I'm not working with you. No. And the flip side to that is you could be an A-list actor, but if they're like, oh yeah, this is a super groovy script and I really like working with you. Yeah. Don't worry about it. We'll just make it happen. Yep. Completely. Um, on that top, I mean, this is the film that made the man, Tom Savini, like anybody who knows anything about horror and makeup, like he's the guy, right? <laughs> like, Oh Yeah. And he it's was supposed a, to he was supposed to originally work on Night of the Living Dead, but uh, he got drafted, <laughs> went to Vietnam, which basically is why he became such a good FX person, because when he was in Nam, he got to see kind of like bodies and all just, you know, decay and burned. And he brought that back and he applied it to his filmmaking. Right. So, yeah, he was a combat photographer. And uh, his whole thing was if uh, the images I make can't give me the same feeling as the real stuff then i didn't do a good enough job it's when you follow his career the better job he does the more like his work gets cut out of the movie because it's too graphic which i mean that's a testament to you as a as an fx artist hey scott are you still uh, in this podcast or what yeah yeah but sorry uh, for me i always thought it was friday the 13th that was savannah he that is savannah yeah that is yeah but that's what put him on the map and this was the second because I know with this film, he he actually doesn't like like he doesn't like the color of the blood. He doesn't right. like that he because pa he painted them. Well, the zombies are supposed to be gray, but then the color it mixed it once it went to color, it turned them blue, and he's like, "Fuck!" All right? Yeah, but this but. is his first like feature. Friday the Thirteenth was the the first time that he did like a a job that everybody saw and everything else. So yes, like it is his a kind of like a game, but this is his first opportunity as like the key makeup, uh, special effects artist. And, uh, like one of the head bikers, um, it's fun <laughs> watching him swing around. Which He's he, good. he makes a cameo though. He, in the uh, land of the dead, he, ha he makes a zombified 
version of of that character he shows up well and he's also i believe in uh army of the dead schneider's latest uh zombie film right i think a whole bunch of them are in that i can't remember are they not in land or or they're definitely in the remake of dawn of the dead maybe maybe the remake we should yeah bring that up at least yeah you guys yeah i just watched it last night as well so Oh, right on, uh, Scott. Have you, Scotty, have you seen the remake? Oh, Snyder, yeah, yeah. What do, what do you think? On There's that not one? enough Superman in it. <laughs> Fucking Snyderverse bullshit. Well, go ahead, okay, Scott. But, I'm gonna okay, go to for, sleep now. Okay, I'm gonna say something about Savannah first, and then just to make Chris happy. You know, in terms of his acting skills, nothing's going to beat fucking Sex Machine. From, oh, yeah. That's from, fair. That's from Dadal. <laughs> from Just Till Dawn. But in terms of that, like, the thing I appreciate about the Snyder version of it is it wasn't trying to remake this film. It just literally just took the concept of it. And, you know, it's his own taste. Because if he literally tried to remake this film, it wouldn't have done as well. And it has a little can can in it with a little Sarah Polly. So And it was shot in Toronto, <laughs> which yeah. is a big piece of can can. But yeah, like in terms of the fast zombies, like I don't really have a preference, but there actually is fast zombies in in the original too. Do you know which ones they are? I don't. No. The two little kids. Oh yeah. Oh, when yeah. they open the door, they run. Right? They're the only two fast zombies in his in his feature. Maybe they're not zombies. They're just really energetic kids. Yeah, they're just children, and they're just all bitey because they're children. (laughs) Well, they're actually um, Tom Savani's, uh, I think, niece and nephew. And he just put them up and just like, okay, go get that guy, right? And then I guess they didn't watch anything, but they ran at him. And one thing I'd say about the 78 version compared to the remake, which is what, 2004 or something like that, is one is basically like a horror action film. That's the remake. And Romero's original is a social commentary, right? Like it's, it's using zombies as a device to talk about like how, like, cause even the way it opens, there's all the racism when they're basically storming the projects and there, he's making a commentary about the, the world he's currently living in where Dawn of the Dead just took like the zombies and the killing. And basically the film is set around that. Right. So, uh, <clears throat> Eric Henderson from Slate Magazine said Dawn of the Dead's most unsettling aspect is in how it shows us how little we've changed as a culture. And I mean, I think that's so true. Like most of the things that Romero is talking about in that film, consumerism, racism, all that type of stuff, uh, is still exists in our culture today. Like nothing's changed at all. And in fact, it may have gotten worse. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say the hell probably definitely worse. Uh, another scene in the original Dawn of the Dead, which I thought was... Cl- so what I like about the original versus... I mean, I actually like both films. I just think that, like Scott said, like they're not, they're not remakes. They're versions of, of, of a zombie apocalypse in a, in a setting. Is One is like an action movie. You get to see kind of some cool stuff happen. And it's very much grounded in kind of realism. In the original, uh, I like how you kind of... Because you don't just go to the mall, right? Like there's that whole opening sequence... And then we're kind of seeing what's happening, you know, in the in the U.S. at the time. So you see the rednecks out there having a gay old time, just woo, having coffee and drinking beers and shooting zombies and stuff. And it's like, and and then you see the military over here. And like, it it actually gives you a feeling of kind of like how this would probably play out, you know? Well, I was going to say with that, I think that's more the nod to the original Night of the Living Dead, because, you know, while they're all 
um, shacked up in the shack with the you see the, the progression of the militia going through and killing them and then you get to the end and it's like the heartbreaking scene yeah, that's, the... that's a that's a solid ending man in the original yeah yeah so i think that's where it's kind of because i think these are supposed to technically be happening at the same time you're just getting like the stories of the different places of what's happening during this apocalypse but also with what you're saying with like the opening i think it it is an amazing like fucking kind of cold open kind of thing but it also reflects how like humanity was its own worst enemy because you had that like racist fucking cop that just could not fucking wait to like just tackle everything and then just start opening up doors and blowing shit away when in reality he really didn't have to he was just getting overzealous getting into it Mm -hmm. and definitely so I, I do agree. Like there's like that link between like, the first and the second. Uh, what I notice is I'm not sure if it is intentionally a link between Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. On the radio in Dawn of the Dead, they mention that in uh, what state is it? Like Arkansas? Or, yeah, as the state I think the state next to Florida, uh, they're working on like a biological cure or something, and it's mentioned mm-hmm. very briefly. And so I looked up, where does Day of the Dead uh, take place? So it takes place in Florida, so pretty close. So I wonder if they intentionally made that connection. Like, oh, where are they working on the cure? Oh, far south in the U.S. Which is basically the premise of <clears throat> Day of the Dead, right? So Exactly. Uh, which I, I, when I first saw Day of the Dead, I really didn't like it. But upon frequent viewings it's now my favorite zombie movie by romero but i find it's extremely inaccessible for whatever reason on first viewing i don't know if you guys had that experience as well uh, i'll have to go <clears throat> sorry i'll have to go back and rewatch it and uh and and kind of get back to you on that because i i i just watched it i mean i, wa- I would have watched it years ago and it was just a zombie movie like i didn't even put it into context with all the other films right so mm, yeah. yeah i was gonna say with myself i think i've only watched it once in terms of his movies, the ones that I re- revisit is the first one, this one, and Land of the Dead, because I like me some fucking Dennis Hopper over the top as the fucking villain. Like That is a fun movie, man. Yeah. I, yeah. It's it's so different from his other zombie movies. When you put it on, it's like, this is like like a comedy. Oh, it's campy. Mm-hmm. It's so campy. <laughs> yeah. Well, even this one is more kind of, uh, has more more humor than night but it's also like when they're in the um, fuck where is it the furnace or whatever and it's like the bullet it was always the bullets ricocheting with Pew. fucking like yeah. yeah yeah it was like the comic <laughs> book like soundtrack yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, and you're just, yeah, you're just watching like his seven ricochets each bullet yeah. like just what <laughs> so yeah, it's go ahead scott go ahead yeah so but i think in terms of this one and land of the dead because i think if I'm not mistaken, the building that Land of the Dead um, takes place, that high rise that's all green, is the high rise in this film that just after they they go off in the helicopter, you see each light kind of dimmer because the zombies have kind of taken over that one. So each floor kind of goes um, goes dark before they get to the mall. I think it's the two, if I'm not mistaken, it's the two same locations where they end up taking place i never thought about that that's cool i I was i was thinking about that exact shot when i was watching it i'm imagining 
like the helicopter takes off and they're on the radio. Okay, okay, turn off the lights. And there's just some guy like hitting all these <laughs> switches as fast as he can just to get the shot. Uh, so, you know, talking about small budgets and big payoffs, I mean, we don't know how big your payoff was, but so this thing had a $640,000 budget and it stunned 600 or $66 million at the box office. Who knows Jeez. how much on video on demand and stuff like that. So that's a pretty good return on investment. Oh, yeah. I wish we still lived in the 70s uh, for reasons like that. Oh, yeah, man. Like, so many filmmakers made stuff like uh, The Last House on the Left and stuff. It, it could make your career. Well, even Friday the 13th, even in the early 80s, right? The scariest movie ever made or whatever. Didn't even have a script. <laughs> it just takes some people, carve them up, make a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah, but in recent times like Bloomhouse is the example of 100%. this it's micro budgets like one to two maybe i think the most they've ever done is a five million dollar budget and it just fucking makes all the money yeah i have a lot of respect for Bloomhouse uh and what they've done they're they're sort of like a modern corman roger corman in that sense we're like we're going to spend a little bit of money and uh only one movie like out of 10 has to hit in order to make the money back and if, if more than one does then they're, they're golden it's a good model which hollywood hollywood generally does not do they put all of their money into like into certain franchises like we're putting everything on marvel and like that's it and which is surprising because man that's a gamble to, well, to well do, that's going to gonna work that. until it doesn't and then exactly. you see huge catastrophic losses yeah it, that's it's it's nuts. Like I couldn't imagine like signing off on a project like that. Like this Avatar two. What did they say? Like they had to make two billion dollars. So that's that's a bit of a misquote. Basically, James Cameron said it had to be in the top three biggest selling movies of all time, and then some other people basically did the math. The production budget on it right now looks about six fifty. Scott, do I have that right? Six hundred fifty million. It's it's. I think it's already made the profit like where it's at right now in three weeks. But in terms of Bloomhouse, like look, their their newest release, Megan, is what took out Avatar for number one, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, and Blue, if you go back to Bloomhouse with all the like found footage with paranormal stuff, they were making like fifteen thousand dollar movies and making a hundred million dollars on them and stuff. <laughs> like fuck. <laughs> yeah, that that is brilliant uh like let's do this old like it's basically like how they used to make movies i guess in the 70s where where studios like didn't really know what to do anymore they were like audiences weren't coming in and they just took all these directors like right out of film school like that's where we get spielberg that's where we get lucas that's where we get coppola and they're like we don't really understand you but uh, the youth seems to here's some money go make a movie and that, that you get all these legends being born out of that i would like to see another <laughs> the studios do that again uh, and I think I think that with the, the democratization of film, both with like you can edit at home now, you can shoot on your on your, basically on your phone, or you have access to cinema cameras that are because they're digital. You're not carrying a bunch of film stock. I think that we have the opportunity to do that, and I think it's going to happen because we're almost in with the marvelization of the film industry. We're kind of in that late '60s period again, where like the studios really don't know where to go. They, they think they've got a plan, but really they're just betting on all the same shit, just like they were doing in the, in the mid sixties. And it's, it's just going to be time for a revolution. And I mean, you'll bring in streaming, sir. You know, you bring in streaming services into that conversation. The fact that you can, you made a film for $500 and it played on a major streaming service. Like 
you couldn't yeah. do that before, right? You would maybe you would try and do an art house run back in the day. Um, but again, there's just it's just the landscape changes, but the, the the filmmakers and the audiences are still trying to you know connect together, right? So, yeah, I, I am glad that the the audiences are still there. Um, it's like I didn't put any money into promoting Floor Fury once it went on streaming because like this movie sucks and so no one's gonna watch it. <laughs> but enough people did watch it. Like thousands of people have watched this this movie who don't know me and probably don't want to after watching it. <laughs> but, but so like, what you're saying in your second film you didn't put from the creator of Force Fury. <laughs> no. <laughs> a damn cloud not. film. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I think I have to change my name if that was the case. Uh, I mean, so, you know, kind of wrapping up uh, Dawn of the Dead here. It's got a 93% from critics, which is amazing. And the audi- I'm actually surprised the audience score is a bit lower. It's 90%. I figured it like, uh, like a lot of genre stuff, typically the critics go to town on it. And then the audience is like, I don't fucking care. Like, uh, what was the, the, the most recent one, uh, part two that again, they made for like a million dollars and it, uh, with a crazy clown that kills everybody. Oh, it, no, 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 no. The one just in December there. Oh, terrifier, terrifier too. too oh. Yeah. I still have to watch that. I watched the first one. I was like, yeah, they did a really good job, especially for the budget. I was very impressed. And apparently this next one, yeah, the sequel is amazing. If you like gore, which I do. And you like to throw <laughs> up in the movie theater? Yeah. Will she, will she throw up in a movie theater? I don't know. I don't. I just <laughs> fucked up my Alanis Morissette quote there, but whatever. <laughs> I, I was going to say it's go down. Yeah. But or throw sure. up. Yeah. Both. <laughs> there you go uh anything else you guys want to chat about before we let uh, dan go i'm just really happy guys uh to have me on the show it's a lot of fun i really appreciate it i hope look to see you both uh this coming weekend for the kw film festival well thanks for coming out dan uh yeah we look forward to your festival and we're definitely gonna make sure our audience is well aware of it and uh also all the work that you've done like we'll throw your imdb up there and yeah thanks for coming out man we appreciate it Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. And that is our wrap for the day. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends. If you want to get a hold of us, reach us at the www.howdyoulikethatmovie.com. listening to it you're, you're apparently somewhat of a competent filmmaker because you you made his list <laughs> two, two of my films have <laughs> and one i produced so there, but there i'm also from, but i'm also from KW, i'm also from kw so he was probably like i mean this is shit but i mean he's next door and he's gonna have us on the podcast so she probably let this guy into our fucking film festival <laughs> so now he'll listen to this and he'll know the real reason why you wanted him on god damn it <laughs> we're gonna have to get our producer to edit that part out too <laughs> be like especially before the before the actual festival be like i think now uh, i kind of feel like i have have to have the guy fucking win, right? <laughs> Production by Rod Shaver, Vader Monkey Productions.